Welcome to the Shift Gold Friday Gold Wrap, your overview of this week's Precious Metals News. It's Friday, November 2nd. I'm your host, Mike Meharry. Thanks for tuning in. Well, gold has had another one of those up-and-down kind of weeks. The yellow metal sold off as stocks rebounded midweek, but rallied yesterday on dollar weakness. Gold fell to near a three-week low on Wednesday as the dollar scaled a 16-month peak and a bounce in the stock markets following the recent rout revealed renewed appetite for riskier investments. But then the yellow metal hit its highest level in more than three months yesterday as the dollar index suffered a sharp retreat. Analysts called the dollar sell-off a correction, and it does seem to have rebounded somewhat overseas early today. Part of the reason for dollar weakness was another shift in trade war rhetoric. All of a sudden, there seems to be progress. Both President Trump and Chinese President Xi Jinping expressed optimism on Thursday. The leaders plan to meet later this month in Argentina. President Trump has reportedly asked officials in his administration to start drafting terms of a trade deal with Beijing. Of course, we've seen this show before. Trump could come out tomorrow and announce more tariffs, so it's kind of one of those uh, we'll-believe-it-when-we-see-it kind of things, but that's the latest on the trade war. Anyway, back to gold. Last month was a good one for the yellow metal. Gold prices were roughly 1.6% higher in October. That represented the best month since July, breaking a string of six monthly declines in a row. Meanwhile, stocks suffered what one news report called a brutal and volatile October. The S&P 500 was down 6.8% for the month, and it was the biggest monthly decline in NASDAQ since 2008. And it wasn't just U.S. stocks. It was the worst month for global equities in more than six years. Globally, stock markets lost 7.5%, their worst month since May 2012. But we have seen a nice rally over the last three days. So, have we seen the worst? Is the correction over? That certainly seems to be the sentiment in the mainstream. Of course, there's no way to know for sure, but Peter Schiff asked a pretty poignant question in a recent podcast. What's more likely, that the longest bull market in history just had a correction, or that it's finally come to its long overdue end? Now, it's kind of funny to me because all of the pundits on MSNBC and Fox Business were telling us that there was nothing to worry about during the market sell-off because the economy is fundamentally the same. It's no different in October than September. Since the consensuses were in the middle of a huge boom, investors shouldn't worry about a little market volatility. Now, you know what? They're right about one thing. The fundamentals in the economy have not changed. It's still loaded up with debt. It's still a big, fat, ugly bubble built on credit. So really, these people should listen to their own advice. As the stock market rallies, Whether it's the end of an ugly October correction or merely an upward correction in a new bear market, they need to remember that the fundamentals, yes, they are the same and they aren't good. Interest rates are still rising. The big pile of debt is still sitting in the middle of the proverbial room. That's not a good combo. As Peter put it, all of the bulls who are just so confident that this is a correction that's already over are ignoring all of the signs that the economy is not nearly as strong as everybody pretends it is. 
So here's a little tidbit I haven't seen reported on very much. It wasn't just the stock market that got clobbered last month. It was also a really bad October for junk bonds. There seems to be increasing fear of defaults out there. Now, if the economy is so great, why would people be worried about defaults? The housing market is one of the biggest red flags out there. There was a report just this week that home sales in California are at the lowest level in 10 years. Now, for goodness sake, the Fed funds rate is only at 2.25. Mortgage rates have just now gotten back to 5%, and yet we're already seeing the negative impacts in housing. Keep in mind, the housing market is a leading indicator of the impact of rising interest rates. We're also seeing some trouble in the auto market, another interest rate-sensitive sector. So here's the scenario we're all supposed to believe. The economy is strong. And the Fed is going to keep pushing interest rates up. But here's the question. How is it possible that the economy can continue to stay strong with high interest rates when the strength of the economy is predicated on debt? It just doesn't make any sense. Well, since I'm already gloom and doom in this world that's supposed to be in a boom, I might as well throw this out there. You'd better get ready for higher prices. An inflation wave is apparently approaching. A recent report by the Wall Street Journal highlights a number of price increases already implemented or in the works. For instance, Coca-Cola reported higher prices in Q3, and airlines have already raised fares and fees to offset rising fuel expenses. Trucking costs were up 7% annually in September, and that's one of those things that tends to trickle down throughout the rest of the economy. Food giant Mondelez International said it plans to raise prices in North America next year. Mondelez subsidiaries include Nabisco, Kraft, and Nestle. CEO Dirk Vandeput said the company plans to pass on rising ingredient and transportation costs to its customers. You'll also feel the squeeze if you go out to eat. Two examples, burgers at McDonald's cost you more last quarter, and Chili's Restaurants raised the price of its two entrees and an appetizer deal three bucks from $22 up to $25. It's not just the price of food that's going up. Apple recently jacked up the price of its new MacBook Air and iPad Pro by between 20 and 25%. Clorox plans to raise the price of everyday products such as cat litter. The price of countertops and cabinets has increased by about 10%, thanks to tariffs. And Sherwin-Williams raised its paint prices by as much as 6% in October. Sherwin-Williams CEO John Morick has said that, quote, raw material inflation has been unrelenting, and accelerating. Now, rising inflation is supposed to give the Fed the green light to keep raising interest rates, but again, the piles of debt. It's going to be interesting to see how the central bank navigates these rocky waters. Now, some people will say the prospect of hot inflation will be bad for gold, since it could motivate the Fed to continue hiking rates. Rate hikes generally strengthen the dollar, and that's not good for gold. At least that's the conventional wisdom. But as I've talked about before, this is bass ackwards. Inflation is good for gold. An interest rate is nothing but a price. It's the price of money. When there is inflation, interest rates go up just like any other price. Contrary to popular belief, this is not bad for gold. Quite the opposite. It's bullish for gold. Gold is an inflation hedge. Now, a lot of investors are apparently buying gold again. The World Gold Council released its Q3 Gold Demand Trends Report this week, 
and increased gold buying by consumers and central banks pushed overall demand for the yellow metal up slightly in the third quarter. Overall, gold demand came in at 964.3 tons in Q3. That was 6.2 tons higher year-on-year. Strong central bank and consumer demand offset significant outflows from ETFs. I've been saying the relatively low gold price is basically gold on sale. Some investors have definitely taken advantage of that sale. Sale of gold bars and coins rose 28% to 298.1 tons during the quarter. Sales were particularly strong in China. Chinese demand shot up 25% year-on-year. Consumers also drove gold jewelry demand up 6% to 535.7 tons. Meanwhile, gold demand in the technology sector enjoyed its eighth consecutive quarter of growth, rising by 1% to 85.3 tons. Central banks were big buyers of gold in the third quarter as well. On net, central banks purchased 148.4 tons of gold. That was in quarter three. That was 22% higher year-on-year, and it was the highest level of quarterly demand since Q4 2014. Russia, Turkey, and Kazakhstan, the usual suspects, accounted for the lion's share of the purchases, but we even saw increases in gold reserves from two EU banks, Hungary and Poland. I've talked about this trend in previous episodes. Countries like Russia and China want to limit their dependence on the U.S. dollar and even set up alternative systems outside of the global dollar system. The growing number of central banks buying gold serves as a way to diversify their holdings away from the greenback. We've had a sale on gold for a long time, and it's about to end. A few weeks ago, Peter said now is the time to get into precious metals. A lot of investors across the globe seem to be doing just that. If you want to learn more about adding gold and silver to your portfolio, or simply evaluate your current holdings, call a Ship Gold Precious Metal Specialist today. Just dial 1-888-GOLD-160. That's 1-888-GOLD-160. Well, that's a gold wrap for this week. You can get more details on all of these stories and more and keep up with the latest precious metals news and analysis throughout the week at shiftgold.com news. If you haven't done it already, you can subscribe to the Friday Gold Wrap at iTunes or on the Shift Gold YouTube channel. You'll find links on our show notes page. And if you're listening on YouTube, please share your thoughts on this week's gold news in the comments section. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll talk to you again next week.